So this is our final week looking at the life of the great Old Testament prophet Elijah. Uh, you can turn with us, if you like, to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. But let me give you the story so far. Of course, I encourage you to go back and look at the previous messages in the YouTube feed, but I'll give you the summary and then you can go and binge later if you want. Ahab and Jezebel are king and queen of Israel. They are the most evil pair to have ever ruled Israel, and they are deep into the worship of foreign gods, particularly Baal and Asherah. And it wasn't just a religious thing, it was political and ideological. And, and there was a purging going on. Jezebel, particularly, was hunting down the followers of the one true God, Yahweh, and having them killed because they challenged the way that Jezebel and Ahab led Israel. Elijah, a man born for this moment, rises to become a significant leader of the resistance, a prophet of the one true God who stands up to Ahab and challenges him. He tells Ahab exactly what God thinks of his leadership and says there is going to be a drought. Elijah uh, withdraws to a remote ravine called Kareth and uh, to a remote village after that where he boards with a widow and her son until three years later, God says, it's time to go back to Ahab. It's going to rain. I want you to pray for rain. You're going to have to go back and talk to Ahab. He meets with Ahab. Jezebel again is not there. She's hunting down and killing the prophets of the one true God. So Elijah challenges hundreds of prophets of the false gods to a showdown on Mount Carmel. One man, Elijah, versus hundreds. And the one true God in this showdown just blows them away. He is miraculous and spectacular and proves his power in the most impressive fashion, handing Elijah total victory. In fact, his victory is so complete that the people who saw it were so convinced that they hunted down and killed all the prophets of the false, false gods and killed them. A great victory. And then Elijah goes to pray for rain as he'd been instructed. He climbs back up to the top of Mount Carmel and he persistently, humbly and with great faith prays until the tiniest cloud appears because the rain is coming. And of course, it does. Now we come to today's installment, where we find, well, really, that in this relationship between Ahab and Jezebel, she's the one who wears her pants, right? She comes back home, and she hears what's happened on Mount Carmel. She hears that all her false prophets are dead. She also hears that as the message spreads about what happened on Mount Carmel, that more and more people are starting to question their authority and power. So she decides to kill Elijah. She sends a message to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, meaning the dead prophets. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So Elijah runs. And this time we gain some insight into his inner thoughts and feelings. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a full day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, he sat down under the tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down under the tree and fell asleep. I just want to die. I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. There are a number of descriptions of mental illness in the scriptures. But this is perhaps the clearest, definition, uh, clearest description of someone suffering depression. We talk about depression for a minute, because I know 
there are voices within Christianity that believe that if you're depressed, then you're clearly not spiritual enough. Or they say that if you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord all the time, then there is something wrong with you and you're not truly saved. There is a suggestion that depression is purely a symptom of some sort of spiritual inadequacy. It's clearly wrong. You see, when it comes to mental health, we follow scientific method, right? Doctors, psychologists, counselors, social workers, and psychiatrists, <laughs> everyone else working in the field relies on what is known as the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual of Mental Health or Mental Disorders, DSM. Book published by the American Psychiatric Association. It is a principal authority for diagnosing mental illnesses, defining mental illnesses, and recommending treatments for mental illnesses. It's printed nearly a thousand pages, like it's huge, right? There's a lot of stuff in this thing. There's chapters on schizophrenia and other psychiatric disorders. There's chapters on bipolar and other disorders, there's obsessive disorders, trauma disorders like PTSD. There's chapters on all sorts of things. There's a chapter on anxiety and there is a chapter devoted to depressive disorders. Because depression is a medically diagnosable disease with clear, clear uh, symptoms. Scientific studies and reports all back it up. To simply say it's a spiritual problem is a ridiculously ignorant point of view. Within the last 12 months, over a million Australians will have suffered or are suffering a time of depression. Within their lifetimes, over two and a half million Australians living today will suffer depression for a part or all of their time. These figures are, are significant. You see, these, these are about the same figures the people in Australia, of people suffering with diabetes in Australia. It's a, it's a significant portion of the population. It's the second most common mental illness. So in this story from Elijah's life, we see three things that contribute to his depression. Three things, not that caused his depression, but three things that made it harder for him to manage his depression. First of all, he wears himself out. He's exhausted, right? Physically, emotionally, spiritually. He's confronted kings, stared down hundreds of false prophets, climbed mountains and run miles. The exhaustion, this exhaustion has got to be a main trigger. And it's often where people, it often is a main trigger when people have depressive episodes. Secondly, he shut people out, which is often a common symptom of what people are suffering depression. He ran out into the desert, but left his servant back in Bathsheba. And finally, he focuses on the negative. This is both a symptom and a cause type thing. You know, it, it runs in a spiral. Once in a depressive state, it's a depressive state. It's, it's common for someone to continue to focus on the negative, which further drives you down. It's a vicious spiral. And we see it, you know, in Elijah's story, twice, a little bit later on in the story, he, he recounts how bad things are in Israel. If you've ever suffered depression, I'm sure you recognize these symptoms and these causes in Elijah's life. And if you, have, if, if you right now see these symptoms in your life right now, I suggest that you might want to be talking to a doctor because you might be suffering depression. And it would really be best for you to talk to a doctor, psychologist, counselor, pastor, or an officer and get some help. You see, Elijah, the great man of God, wasn't doing so well. He needed help. You know, he didn't have a doctor, a psychologist, or anyone like that. He's not blessed the way we are. But he was blessed in the fact that God stepped in directly for Elijah in a long miracle. 
You see, in addition to looking for professional help, there are some lessons we can learn about the way God helps Elijah through his depression. And also, it helps us understand how we might help others who are suffering depression. So let's have a look and see what God did. First of all, God tells Elijah to eat and rest, or rest and eat. I'm far more prone to depression in my life when I'm tired and hungry, right? If you go to a doctor and you say that you're feeling terrible and you, you might have depression, then one of the first things a doctor is going to ask you, I know this from experience, is how are you sleeping? How is your diet? And they also ask, are you exercising? I don't think that was a problem in Elijah's case because he'd run miles out into the desert. But see, depression is linked to physical wellness. When you're tired, hungry, unfit or unwell, you are more prone to depression, just like Elijah. God steps in and he helps Elijah out. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again, <laughs> eating, drinking and sleeping. Three of my favorite pastimes. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up, eat. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Having dealt with the physical tiredness and hunger, Elijah, Elijah gets up and goes to meet with God. He goes all the way back to Horeb and he goes to hang out in a cave where God has a conversation with him. What are you doing here, Elijah? God gently asks Elijah to tell his story. I mean, as if God doesn't know what's been going on, right? But Elijah tells him how bad Israel has been, how he sees it, how, how the people have disobeyed God, rejected his ways, torn down his altars, killed his prophets, and he claims to be the only one left. And now they're trying to kill him too. Seems that Elijah is primarily depressed because he feels like a failure. He feels like he's doing all these incredible things. He's prayed and it stopped raining. He prayed and a boy was raised to life. He prayed and God cast down fire from heaven. He prayed and the rains came from heaven. He did all these incredible things, world-changing things, and yet people still didn't believe. People were still not getting it. Jezebel still threatens to kill him. Ahab doesn't stand up for him. I mean, what seriously has he got to do? He feels like a failure. All these things are still happening. All this stuff has happened. And yet people are still not following the one true God. He's still failing at his attempt to turn around the whole kingdom. So God does something interesting. He tells Elijah to go stand at the mouth of the cave. Elijah doesn't move. <laughs> God sends an earth-shattering wind. Elijah doesn't move. He sends an earthquake. Elijah doesn't stir. He sends a fire. Elijah doesn't move. But after the fire comes a gentle whisper. And Elijah gets up and goes to the mouth of the cave. You see, God reminded Elijah that he's not alone. Wind, earthquake, fire, huge things. God has done huge things before. It's not that big. Not a big deal for Elijah anyway, but a still small voice, that's different. Think about it. You, you can hear a wind from miles away. You, you can feel an earthquake 
from thousands of kilometers away. You can see a fire from kilometers away. But a still small voice can only be sensed if the person is close. The only way for you to hear a still small voice is if the person who is speaking to you is right next to you. Sometimes when people are depressed, the thing you need to do for them is simply remind them that they are not alone, that you are there for them. And finally, God reassures Elijah of his purpose. He gives him a job to do, actually. The Lord said to him, you know, go back the way you came, go back through the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, you know, you're going to anoint Hazael, you're then going to anoint Jehu, and then you're going to anoint Elisha, who is going to succeed you as prophet. So you're going to get a friend out of this. So the key role of the prophet throughout the Old Testament is to anoint leaders, you see, to choose out from among the people those who God has determined will take leadership of the people. And so far from being the last prophet of the one true God, Elijah is reminded that there are others. Not only are they followers of the one true God, but they are leadership material, and he's to anoint them. Despite the perception of his circumstances, all is not lost. There is still work to be done. He is not a failure. You know, when we seek to be God for people, when we try and live kingdom lives, lives that reflect the one true and holy God, holy lives, we, we are called to help people. We are called to help them rest, to remind them of the presence of God through our presence for them and to empower them in the way God empowered Elijah. I wonder if you'd join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you never change. Even when everything around us is changing and unpredictable, thank you that you are stable even when we feel unstable. Right now, we pray for anyone whose body, brain, or and emotions are telling them that something isn't right. We, we ask you to lead them to the right sources for help. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story from the life of Elijah that tells us that even the greatest prophets went through hard times emotionally. Thank you, too, for showing us yourself, that you understand what people are going through. Thank you for showing us those times when you were distressed, when you grieved, when you faced loneliness, when you experienced deep sorrow, when you shed tears in prayer. God, help us be your hands and feet in this. May we have the opportunity to provide food, to provide rest, and to be a place of safety where people can tell their story and know they are not alone. And finally, Lord, we ask that we be a place where people can discover their calling in life, when they can be empowered by you to live wholeheartedly all that you have created them to be. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.